um, it's, it's, it's totally fine. I got it. Um, this morning I was walking, this morning I was walking around and the, the little ones are, you know, running around and I don't know, I, it, it may sound kind of goofy, but I got a little choked up this morning with this and with, we have two high school students who are singing in our, our praise team um, and even watching the kids and play around outside here because I've been in Cincinnati long enough. I've been here since 1991. I was a youth pastor before we started Grace Chapel and um, talking to a couple of my students last night who, um, who have started churches in the area. And, you know, there are elders on our elder board who I've known since they were 11 years old. And I'm thinking as I'm watching these little ones, you know, we sit there. Oh, that's so cute. That's so cute. And, and it is. It's really cute. But some of us are going to grow old together here. We're going to be sitting here. I'll be like an 80 year old man in the back and they'll be running the show. OK, and this is what I was thinking about this week. It's something about this morning. I'm looking at some of these little faces and I'm old enough now. I'm not saying I'm old, but I'm old enough now to have watched babies grow up into high school students, junior hires or, you know, little elementary school age kids now become incredible business people, um, pastors, missionaries. They're changing the world. This is these are the faces of this is these are the faces of the people who will run this church or run other churches, start other churches, go on the mission field, go into into marketplace ministry and really transform our world. And I and I thought about it as as playing into what we're talking about in this series and how important it is for me as a senior pastor, how important it is for our staff, how important it is for those who um, those who are coming to our church as parents that we live such dynamic lives that they see it because this you know I, I want them up here I want them doing their ballets I want them singing on the praise team I want them involved in different areas of ministry our children and youth because if, if they're not a part of the church of today they will not be a part of the church of tomorrow these are our future leaders and and the way that we can help them be dynamic leaders is to live our lives in such a way that it that it moves them that they look at us and we, we set such a high bar in our spiritual lives. Honestly, that each one of us sets such a high bar in our spiritual lives that our children look at that. And I'm going to tell you something. One of the reasons I started Grace Chapel was because I watched, I watched for years the students, my students, if they were all fired up for Christ and everything and their parents were kind of like, nah, mediocre. After a while, most of them went right to the level of their parents. So I thought, my goodness, what if, what if we could be here? We could set a high bar. Our, our children will rise to our level and want to exceed where we are spiritually. So that, to me, it just motivates me. And throughout this series that we're in right now, we've seen some amazing heroes, okay? Amazing heroes. Joseph, what an incredible journey that we went through with Joseph, right? And now we're talking about Moses, and we're talking about Caleb, and we're talking about Joshua. But this morning, what I want to challenge you to do is, be, is follow their example. Try to follow their example, and be the hero of your own story. 
of your own journey. We're, we're studying this, this journey that your children of Israel are on, and I've kept on, I, I keep on saying, that what is your journey? What is your goal? And this morning, I really want us to, to become the heroes of our own story, our own journey, and with God's help, we really can. With God's strength and God's help, we can. Last week we talked about the, the children of Israel and, and how they moved from uh, bondage in Egypt to the promised land. And we said that we want to take some principles from their journey and apply those principles to our lives. How do we take the word of God and what the people, the Hebrews, went through on their journey from Egypt to the promised land and then apply those principles to our lives? There'll be some positives and there'll be some negatives, but we want to apply them to our own journey. So last week we talked about Exodus. We started talking about Exodus. In Exodus chapter 1 and verse 11, it basically tells us that the, the Egyptians put the Hebrews under tremendous pressure. They were, in, they were moved into forced labor. They had slave masters who oversaw them, and they were put into forced labor. And then in verse, uh, verses 12 through 14, it says this, But the more they were oppressed, the more they multiplied and spread. So the Egyptians came to dread the Israelites and worked them ruthlessly. They made their lives bitter with harsh labor in brick and mortar and with all kinds of work in the fields. In all their their harsh labor, the Egyptians worked them ruthlessly. And then Pharaoh tells the midwives, the Hebrew midwives, that they are to kill all the males that are born. There's too many many people being born. They're, They're kind of taking over, if you will. And he's afraid for his own power. So he tells the midwives when they, you know, make sure you kill all the males. Well, the midwives don't listen to the king. They listen to God. And they don't do it. And so Pharaoh, in, in, uh, in Exodus chapter 1, verse 22, says this, Then Pharaoh gave this order to all his people. Every Hebrew boy that is born you must throw into the Nile, but let every girl live. And during that time, Moses is born. And so Moses' mother wants to protect Moses, and so she hides him for three months. And once it's too difficult to hide him, she, she makes a basket, she puts him in the basket, and she floats it in the Nile among the reeds. Pharaoh's daughter comes down to bathe and she hears the crying and she tells her servant, go, go grab that basket. They get the basket out of the water. Pharaoh's daughter is, you know, basically she just, you know, has a heart for Moses. And so she tells her servant, go find a Hebrew woman who can nurse him. So they go and find a Hebrew woman. And who do they find? Moses' mother. They find Moses' mother. So Moses grows up in the royal family. He grows up in the royal family, but there comes a time where, as he's older, he sees an an Egyptian beating a Hebrew. And he looks around, makes sure no one's looking, and he runs over and he kills the Egyptian and buries his body in the sand. Well, Pharaoh ends up finding out about that, and he wants to kill Moses. So Moses flees to Midian. And while Moses and Midian, the people of Israel, are con- they're crying out. The Hebrews are crying out to God because they've been under now oppression for so long. And God chooses Moses to lead his people to freedom. And once he chooses Moses to lead his people to freedom, the trouble begins to brew. God chooses Moses and Moses goes back to Egypt. Once Moses goes back to Egypt, you have the confrontation between Moses and Pharaoh. And Moses, Moses says, hey, let my people go. And Pharaoh's like, no, it's not happening. So Moses begins to do incredible miracles. 
Miracle after miracle, and Pharaoh hardens his heart, not impressed. And then the plagues come. In the beginning, Pharaoh, again, hardens his heart. He begins to soften, not soften, but he begins to give in a little bit, and then he just hardens his heart. But as the plagues wear on, finally Pharaoh can't take anymore because they become worse and worse and worse. Pharaoh can't take anymore, and he says to Moses, take your people and get out. Just get out. So the, the, the Hebrews leave, they leave Egypt, and as they're leaving, they're on, they're out now. Pharaoh sits down with his cohorts and they say, you know, I think we made a mistake here. All this forced labor is now gone. Our labor force is completely gone. So Pharaoh gathers up his army and he goes after the Hebrews. And so here's for us and for, for them, okay, but for us now, this is where the journey truly gets real. So you set your goals, right? If you're here for the first time, what we're doing is we're setting some goals, some personality issues we need to deal with, some sins in our lives, some habits we need to break. So what is it that's holding us back from being the person that God created us to be? See, now the journey, we, we started this journey about a month ago, over a month ago, and now this journey is getting more real because we said, here comes Pharaoh, right? Here comes the enemy. We've set our goals. We're on our way. And now the battle truly begins. Here comes Pharaoh. Here comes the enemy in your life. You've set your goals. You've kind of laid it out. Maybe you're going through a Bible study. Maybe you're reading up on some areas. Maybe you're going to counseling, whatever the case may be. But the enemy now knows that you're trying to overcome something that's been holding you back. And now the battle truly begins because the enemy will do anything they can to stop you from achieving that goal. So now you have to face your fears. Now you have to face your enemy. Now you have to face your past. The things that, the things that have been woven into the fabric of your existence. Things from the past that have, that have created the person that you are today. And in some ways may be good, in some ways not so good. So now you have to, you have to deal with your past. Now you have to deal with the giants that are in your life. Every single one of us has giants. If you deny it, you're just denying reality. Some sin in your life, that, that, that habit you can't break. Now you've got to face the giants in your life. See, if you're going to enter the promised land, if you're going to achieve that goal, if you're going to become the person that God has created you to be, you are going to need to fight. We said last week, God's people faced their first big challenge in Exodus chapter 14 and verse 10. It says this, as Pharaoh approached, the Israelites looked up and there were the Egyptians marching after them. They were terrified and cried out to the Lord. And so here come the Egyptians. Here comes the battle. You picked your goal. You're going to overcome this. But now, now the pressure begins to, begins to build. So how did they react to the pressure? Verses 11 and 12, it tells us this. So they said to Moses, Was it because there were no graves in Egypt that you brought us to this desert to die? What have you done to us bringing us out of Egypt? Didn't we say to you in Egypt, leave us alone. Let us serve the Egyptians. It would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in this desert. So God protects them, okay? Scary time for them. Give them that. God protects them, and they go through the, the, part, the sea parts, and they go through the sea. But then the Egyptians come. The Egyptians are coming after them. And as they pursue the people of Israel, God then closes the mighty waters, the mighty sea, and closes in and basically wipes out all the Egyptians. 
wipes them out. And in Exodus chapter 14, verse 31, once the, once the Hebrews, once the Israelites see this, they're seeing what's happening. They get through on basically dry, they get through on dry land. And the Egyptians come in, God closes the waters, they're awed. And they say in Exodus 14, 31, And when the Israelites saw the mighty hand of the Lord displayed against the Egyptians, the people feared the Lord and put their trust in Him and in Moses, His servant. So last week, okay, I moved the story forward to the book of Numbers. We started talking about Moses and Moses sending out the, the, the leaders, the 12 leaders. Okay, so you have these 12 leaders Moses sends into the promised land to spy out the promised land. And we said that the first principle that we can glean, that we need to glean from their journey is belief. We need to have faith. We need to have a strong belief in the power of God. We, you, we have all seen God do miraculous things in our lives. Oh, if you're an older Christian, you just think back. Sometimes you get frustrated and you can't see God and you can't feel God and you can't hear God in your life. But if you just think back of what He did for you in the past, it brings you that strength. I was thinking about it actually this past week. All the miracles that God has done in this church and in my life personally over the last just couple of years. And I was just thanking Him. We need to have belief that God is strong enough to get us through whatever, whatever, whatever challenges that we are going to face on this journey. Okay, but there's another principle that we can glean from this. And the other principle is that, there, that if you're on this journey, what we can learn from their journey is that there needs to be an exodus. The courage to leave. Think about that. There you are. You set your goals. You've set, you've laid them out. But there needs to be, a, there needs to be an exodus in your life. There needs to be the courage for you to step out and actually start living out what God has called you to live. Actually step out and say, Lord, I'm going to face this giant. I'm going to face my past. I'm going to face this difficulty. You need to step out in courage and actually leave. You know, it's often difficult for us as people. To leave our present situation. I want you to think about this. Think about the people that you know. Think about your own life. It's often difficult for us to leave our present situation. Even when things are really difficult. Even when things like you're, you're in, a, you're in a, a really difficult, challenging job. Or you're in, a, you're in an abusive relationship. Even when things are difficult. For so many people, present pain is better than an unknown future. People stay where they are their entire lives sometimes. Why? Because the unknown, present pain, what I'm in right now, what I'm dealing with right now, for so many people is better for them than an unknown future. The fear, Satan has gripped them and has lied to them and told them, if you step out, it'll be even worse for you. And so people think to themselves, you know I know it's terrible, I know it's horrible, I know I'm not living out the life I wanted to live, but present pain is better than an unknown future. And they don't say it that way, but that's exactly what they think. The children of Israel are, were in slavery in Egypt. They were in slavery, ruthless. They, they said the Egyptians were ruthless. They kept on pouring more and more difficult labor upon the, the Hebrews. And the children of Israel are, are, are in this situation, yet faced, listen to this, yet faced with the unknown, what do they say when, they're, when they start thinking about the, the future? Let's go back to Egypt. Let's go back. 
We were slaves. They were slaves under terrible oppression. Yet when they, yet when they face the unknown, their response is, let's go back. See, to achieve our goals, we need to have the courage to leave and to walk in a new direction. If you're gonna, if you're going to achieve what God has called you to achieve as we, as you go through your life, you pick that goal, you've looked at this and you've said, this is what I need to overcome. If that's the case, then you need to have the courage to leave, to leave where you are and go in a new direction. Even if you're not really sure what's around the next corner, because you're not going to know. You're not going to know what's around the next corner. How many of you have started businesses? You're all excited. You start a new business. You have to step out. It's a journey. You have to have the courage to step out and actually put a lease on that building. Decide that you're going to invest your time and your resources. It takes the courage to step out and do that. Even if you don't know what the end result is going to be. But I can guarantee you what the end result will be if you stay where you are, mediocrity. And I'll go back to our children. I look at these kids, I see their little faces, and again, I've been around long enough on this earth to now project out what they're going, now they're going to be adults. I'm going to be, my grandchildren, I have seven grandchildren. Hopefully, by the grace of God, they're either leaders in this church or leaders in other churches. But I can guarantee you one thing, okay? I can guarantee you one thing. I am going to live my life with such relentless passion in front of them. I am going to be as bold as humanly possible. I am going to, I'm going to stand up. I'm going to try to stand out. I'm going to speak the word of God in truth. I am not going to compromise anything about the word of God. And one of the biggest reasons is I want my son, I want my daughters, I want my grandchildren to see the example that I'm setting. There are men and women in the Bible. They say, Paul said it, but others have said it in different ways. Follow my examples. I try to follow God's example, the example of Christ. That's what each of us, that's what needs to be in each of our minds. You want to break, you want to break generational sin? It starts with you. It starts with you looking at your own life and your own issues and saying, I need to stop being, I, I have to stop lying. I need to stop being so fearful and anxious I, I need to stop being so control. I am so controlling. You know why? Because my mother was so controlling, or my father was so controlling, or my grandmother, or my grandfather. And there, if you go back, this generational sin just keeps pouring forward. Not just, you know, I, I know we have, you know, but it's environment. It's them watching how we behave and the fear that is, it grips us and the fear that drives us to make decisions in our lives or not make decisions in our lives. We need to break that. Our children need to see bold leadership. We need to have the courage to leave and walk in a new direction, even if we don't know what's around the next corner. You know why the journeys are sometimes so difficult? Because we don't like change. We just just made this section right here. A lot of you, first time you're sitting in this section, that's full change. You're like, you walked in, you're like, I mean, some people, they just walk, they're like frozen. You know, mannequin, whatever thing we do, they do now. They're, they're, wait, wait, it used to be different. Am I supposed to sit in this section or that section, right? I mean, we, you come in, if you move sections sometimes, I'm thrown completely off. I'm looking up, wait, wait, why are you over here? You usually sit over there. 
You know, we don't like change. Let me illustrate. This is a, I love this illustration. The U.S. Standard Railroad gauge, the distance between the rails, okay? You say the, the, the tracks, okay? The distance between the rails is four feet, eight and one half inches. Why such? A, I'll read it to you. Why such an odd number? Because that's the way they built them in England. And American railroads were built by British expats. Why did the English adopt that particular gauge? Because the people who built the pre-railroad tramways used that gauge. They, in turn, were locked into that gauge because the people who built the tramways used the same standard and tools that had been used for building wagons, which were set on a gauge of four feet, eight and one half inches. Why were the wagons built to that scale? Because with any other size, the wheels did not match the old wheel ruts in the road. So who built these old rutted roads? The first long distance highways in Europe were built by Imperial Rome for the benefit of their legions. The roads have been in use ever since. The ruts were first made by Roman war chariots. Four feet Eight and one half inches in the width of a chariot needed to be to it needed to be that wide to accommodate the rear end of two war horses. So our railroads are all built that way because of the rear ends of two war horses. Okay, <laughs> think about this. People don't like change. You know, four feet, one, eight and one half inches. That works. That's how wide the trains. They, you know, we'd have had wider, more luxurious trains, right? But no, it's got to be eight, right? Four feet, eight and one half inches. Because that's where the ruts in the road were. Keep that in your mind. That's how the ruts in the road were laid out. The ruts in the road. Four feet, eight and one half inches. We're going to stick with that. We need to let go of our past. We need to get our wheels out of the rut. We need to follow a new path. Therein lies your problem. Great-grandfather, your grandfather, your father, and now you. All have the same bad habits. All have the same besetting sins. Four feet, eight and one half inches of sin. The wheels have been laid in the rut. Why change things now? And you continue the same pattern. You need to let go of your past. You need to cut that off. You need to get your wheels out of the ruts in the road. And you need to put them on a new path. There needs to be a decision to make it happen in the power of God. That needs to be a decision that you make this morning if you haven't make it, made it already. I am getting my wheels out of the rut. We need, to, we need to have this willingness to step out in faith. Listen, sometimes you need to go through the desert to reach the promised land. In order to get to the mountaintop, you need to go through the valley. You are going to have to be strong. Maybe stronger than you've ever been in your entire life. This is our time. This is your time. We're talking about the journey of the Hebrews from, the, from Egypt to the promised land. But honestly, what we're really talking about now in 2016 is you, your personal journey and what you can learn from their personal journey. 
my personal journey and what I can learn from their personal journey. And in order for me to accomplish what God is calling me to accomplish, it's going to take strength and maybe more strength than I've ever had in my life. See, we need to be heroes of our own story. You need to be the hero of your own story. This is your story. With God's help, you can become the hero of your own story. But that's what you need to do. Remember, other strong leaders, some of you are followers, and that's okay. When it comes to this, though, when it comes to your own personal issues, when it comes to overcoming them, other strong leaders can only lead you so far. Then it's up to you. Then it is up to you to claim it, to stand up and turn your dreams, turn your goals, turn your vision into a reality. No one else can do that for you. No one else can do that for me. You're struggling with some habit that you need to overcome. Your parents, your friends, your counselors, they can all help you. But at some point, you need to pick up your own sword and lead them to your victory. Others can help you, but you need to lead the charge. They can't do it for you. You need to be the hero of your own story. Our goals, honestly, we set our goals. Our goals are only that, goals, until we step out in faith and take the land. Until we enter the promised land. Moses led the people of Israel right to the edge of the promised land. Then it was up to them. He led them. Here it is. There's the, there's the promised land. We all walk. Moses led them right up to the edge. Then it was up to them to claim it. But they let fear, they allowed fear to dictate their destiny. They went up and they they sent their 12 spies in and they allowed fear to dictate their destiny. Numbers 13, 27 through 29. Then they gave Moses this account. We went up into the land to which you sent us. And it does flow with milk and honey. Exclamation point. Here, here is its fruit. But the people who live there, see, here we go. It, it's exactly what God said. I, I can achieve the goal. God brought us right to the edge. Moses as our leader. We let, he led us right there. But then what happens? Then all of a sudden, but here is its fruit. But... The people who live there are powerful and their cities are fortified and very large. We even saw the descendants of Anak there. The Amalekites live in the Negev. The Hittites, Jebusites, and Amorites live in the hill country. And the Canaanites live near the sea and along the Jordan. They go on in verses 32 and 33. The land we explored devours those living in it. All the people we saw there of great size. We saw the Nephilim there. The descendants of Anak come from the Nephilim. We seem like grasshoppers in our own eyes and we look the same to them so they come back with that report but we talked about this again we talked about it last week we keep building we keep building there are two men though who set an amazing example that every single one of us need to follow Moses sent out 12 and two men came back two men had had the had the chutzpah okay if you will all right, to look at what was out there, see the same thing as the other ten, but come up with a different response, a different answer. One was Caleb. We find him in chapter 13 and verse 30, and it says this, Then Caleb silenced the people before Moses. He said, We should go up and take possession of the land. We should go up and take possession of the land, for we can certainly do it. And then Joshua 
In Numbers chapter 14 and verse 6, it says, Joshua, son of Nun, and Caleb, son of Jephunneh, who were among those who explored the land, tore their clothes and said to the entire Israelite assembly, The land we passed through and explored is exceedingly good. If the Lord is pleased with us, he will, he will lead us into that land, the land flowing with milk and honey, and will give it to us. Only do not rebel against the Lord, and do not be afraid of the people of the land, because we will devour them. They're going to, de- right? What's the difference? They're going to devour us. They're huge. They're going to devour us. Feel like grasshoppers. And what is what is what is what is what is what does Joshua say? He says we will devour them. Their protection is gone, but the Lord is with us. Do not be afraid of them. But again, present pain is better than an unknown future. Whose stupid idea was this to bring us this far? We should go back. We, we, you know, we're all going to die. We're all going to die. We're all going to die in the desert. Oh, it's terrible. Moses, what an idiot. Well, who's, you know, you fool. You and Aaron are both fools. We should choose somebody else and go back to where we came. We should go back into slavery. And we sit there as now in 21st century and read this and go, what is wrong with those people? But then you have to turn the mirror to yourself and say, what's wrong with me? I do the same exact thing. God calls us to do something miraculous. Oh man, we don't have enough money to do that. What about the insurance? And how about this? And what if this happens? And what if that happens? And what if this goes wrong? And what if I step out and do this? And someone laughs at me? And what if people don't? Whatever. And we come up with all these reasons and say, what? Whose stupid idea was this? Let's just sit quietly and be left alone. See, unlike the rest, Caleb and Joshua saw the challenge through the eyes of faith. They saw that challenge through the eyes of faith. They realized if you're going to try to reach a goal, if you're stuck in a rut right now, you, some of you are stuck in a rut. And if you're going to achieve the goal, if you're going to get out of this rut, there's no room for fear and there's no place for intimidation. And you may be fearful. Go anyway. Do it anyway. And you may be intimidated, but do it anyway. You know, I'm not, I told a story before, so I'm not going to get very long. You know how I overcame my fear when I became a Christian? Every single time someone asked me to do something that I was afraid to do, I said yes. Every single time. I don't care what it was. Made me nervous, started getting those butterflies, started getting, oh, you know, anxious and worried. I said yes right away. Why? Because no one's going to dictate my destiny but God alone. I overcame my fear by saying yes to everything that made me afraid. You cannot let fear and intimidation stop you from doing what God has called you to do. There will be giants. But they were ready to take on the giants and claim God's promise. These two were ready to take them on and just claim what belonged to them. They stood tall and they challenged the people to, to, to take on the grand vision of walking and taking over the promised land. So the people were challenged and they were encouraged and inspired to be a part of it. And they were all enthusiastic, right? And they were ready to march into the promised land. Wrong. Remember we said in Numbers 14, 10, it says, after, after they get up, this brave heart kind of speech, you know, we can do it, let's take it, we, we'll, we'll wipe their, 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 their power is gone, and if God is with us, we can do it, you know, and you're going to be laying in your deathbeds when you're very old, and look back and say, this was our opportunity, and they did, remember what happened to them? We'll get there next week, but that's exactly what happened, but instead of saying, yes, I agree with these two, this is what they said. But the whole assembly talked about stoning them. 
That was their response. They're done. They're picking up stones. Let's get these guys out of here. You know what I mean? I don't. Why would we want to follow them? Those people are gigantic. We can't do that. We can't overtake those folks. Those who, here's the thing. Those who want more from their Christian lives, let me hear me out, often bother other Christians. Those who want more from their Christian life often bother other Christians. Some, you know, if someone's running, those who are not stick out. And that's annoying to people. They don't, you know, you're, you're all passionate, you're all fired up, and they stick out. Your passion becomes inconvenient. Your passion makes them uncomfortable. So they want to stop you or at least, at least slow you down to a walk or something. They don't like, they, other, other believers don't like that. Stop getting so excited about your faith, they say. You're, they're going to think you're some, people are going to think you're some kind of radical. Just stay here with us where it's safe. Calm down. It's just religion. It's just a nice thing that we do. We're religious people, so just calm down. Stay here where it's safe with us. Listen to me. If you try to take your wheels out of that rut, something bad might happen. It's always been four feet, eight and one half inches. What are you doing, man? Right? What are you doing? It's always been this way. We've always done it this way. Oh, just stay here with the rest of us. Calm yourself. Just settle down like everyone else. You need to remember, if you're on this spiritual journey, if God has called you to be on the spiritual journey, the victory is yours to claim. You may, you, listen, you may have to invade new territory, territory that you're not comfortable with. There are some things that are going on in your life and you need to go in there and figure out when you pull, when someone pulls on that string, it really hurts, it really bothers you. When they push that button, you really overreact and you have to ask yourself, why do I feel the way I do? Why do I react so aggressively when someone does this or says that? Ask yourself the question, then figure it out. The victory is there. But you may have to, you, you may have to invade new territory and you may have to fight. But if you do, the victory, according to the word of God, is already guaranteed. See, that's the exciting thing. We, one other, here, here's another thing. We need to be prepared for the battle. It isn't smart for us just to pick up our sword and charge the mountain and not think about, not really give any thought to what we're doing. You have to count the cost. You have to think through what you're doing and you have to, you have to count the cost. You need to, if you will, you need to go spy out the land. Caleb and Joshua spied out the land. They knew the cost, but they were willing to pay the price. That's the difference. They counted the cost and that's what we need to do. We need to count the cost. We need to realize if I, if I pick this fight, if I pick this battle, it's gonna be, it's gonna cost me something. Count the cost. But they counted the cost and were willing to pay the price. They understood with a battle comes losses. They understood if you choose, if you choose to make noise in this area of your life, you're going to attract attention. When you sat there quietly in your seat and didn't bother the enemy, you were no threat to the enemy. But the moment you start talking about overcoming and achieving this goal, all of a sudden you attract attention. And when you attract attention, you're going to have to fight. You're going to have to fight. We need to be, listen, we need to be faithful 
And we need to claim God's promises. We need to claim God's promise for our lives because if we don't, God is going to fulfill His purpose through someone else. And what a loss that would be for you. What a loss that would be for me. God wants you to do it. But if we're too fearful to step out and do it, God is going to use someone else to do it. And what a lost opportunity that would be. Remember this. Twelve leaders went out to spy out the land. Ten of them saw it through their own eyes and said, it can't be done. Two of them out of the twelve saw it through the eyes of faith and belief and said, it will be done. It must be done. We can do this. You got to ask yourself, am I part of the two or am I a part of the ten? Where am I in my spiritual life? And if you answer the question honestly and you're part of the ten, you need to change. You need transformation in your life because your children are watching. Your children are watching. My children are watching me. My grandchildren are watching me. I want to be part of the two, not a part of the ten. When God shows us his plan, we need, we all need to see it through the eyes of faith. Let's not be like the multitudes, like the ten. Here's what happened when God gives the multitudes a vision. They take a step back and first they look at it and they think, man, they are all negative about it. It can't be done. And they look at this. Then they, they count the number of people there are. And they look at their size, right? They look at their size and they compare the odds and they, they weigh the obstacles. And then they become fearful and frustrated and they're defeated. They become fearful and frustrated and they end up just letting it go. And becoming, just, just losing the battle before it even starts. When God, listen, when God calls you, when God calls you, what is your response? God calls you to change. God know, You know you need to overcome these things in order to be the person God created you to be. So when God calls you, what is your response? Listen, what obstacles stand in your way? What, what giants make you feel like grasshoppers? That's the question you need to answer. What giants in your life today, now, are making you feel like a grasshopper? Shrinking back and it can't be done and I'm not able to do it. God wants to use you. The question is, what is holding you back? What is holding you back? Last week I said that if you're going to fulfill your goal, if you're going to enter, if we are going to enter the promised land, we are going to need to take it by force. The enemy's not going to let you just walk in and take it. But see, here's the thing. That belongs to you. That is your birthright. What I'm talking about here, entering the promised land, is becoming the person that God designed and created you to be and fulfilling the purpose that he has for your life. That is your birthright. But the enemy's not going to just hand it over to you. You're going to have to take it by force. We can do it together. We can all do it together. But in each one of our lives, you're going to have to lead the rest of us. You need to be the hero of your own story. I'll follow you. I'll give you, I will give you the shirt off my back. I will give you my life. But you need to lead the charge. No one is going to fight this battle for you. No one can fight this battle for you. No one can fight it for you. You have to lead them. The late Christopher Reeve said this, A hero is an ordinary individual who finds the strength to persevere and endure in spite of overwhelming obstacles. 
I thoroughly and completely agree with him. With God's help, you need to be the hero of your own story. With God's help, with God's help, you and I need to be the heroes of our own story. I don't care if you're 95 or if you're 5 and you're hearing my voice. You need to be the hero of your own story. With God's help, you can be. Let's pray. God, thank you for this time that we can spend together. Thank you for the opportunity, Lord God, to... To, to think about our lives and to, and to know that we are in a rut. Some of us are in a rut. Our wheels have been in that four feet, eight, one half inches rut for so long, we can't even remember. That's, that's basically our, 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 our heritage. But this morning, Lord, let us picture in our minds with all of our strength, picking up those wagon wheels and moving them onto a new road, a new path, a, the good way that you've designed for us. Let us be the heroes, Lord God. Give us the strength to pick up our wagon and move it into a new place, into a new path. Let us be the heroes of our own story. In Jesus' name.